When you work for someone else, there's only so much you can do to control your destiny. Whereas owning my business, it's terrifying and exhilarating at the same time, but I really feel like it's in my hands to control my destiny. And so I don't think I'll turn back. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast, inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third-generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Welcome back to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. If you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your support of the show. Can you believe this is episode 92? Holy crap. If you're new to the show, welcome. I'm happy to have you, and I hope you find this content inspiring in your own life and your business. Learning the origin stories of local businesses, entrepreneurs, and influencers continues to inspire me, and I love getting to know our neighbors better, so I hope you guys do too. Guys, I'm excited for my guest today because he and I have similar backgrounds, and I have a special place in my heart for the work he's doing to assist our aging population. So welcome Chance Powell of Senior Solutions to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Renee. I I follow your show. I'm very excited to share something I'm very passionate about. Um, I feel like in our conversation, you'll see that I feel like uh, my journey has really much led me up to this point. And um, I just love running Senior Solutions and helping seniors. Well, tell the listeners what Senior Solutions is about. What What is it that you do for the older population? Yeah. So... Let me just explain just a little bit of background, which will make it make more sense. Um, so I've been in senior care my entire career. Um, I've had the opportunity to run a nursing home and have really spent all my education in senior care. So essentially what Senior Solutions is, um, is I'm a coach, a consultant, and I help people coordinate to make sure that uh, their aging loved ones get the right solution. So, Uh, especially when I ran the nursing home, which we'll probably talk more about later, I noticed that there was a serious information void um, when it comes to making decisions for aging parents or an aging spouse. And um, also it's an emotional cost. Uh, Seniors deal with a lot of loss. Uh, They deal with a lot of change. And I really felt like it was in desperate need of a guide. And so our, our mantra is actually your guide through the aging journey. So if you remember nothing else, essentially picture a maze of decisions that need to be made for an aging loved one. And I hope to be the guide that you can hold my hand and we'll walk through the maze together. Yeah, I think if anybody has had an aging parent or anyone in their life, well, not even aging, healthcare is complicated. And we talk a lot about we need to have some kind of a navigator to help us through that. And there's actually people who are healthcare navigators and do that kind of work, but this is specific for that aging population. Now, why is that important? I know that there are a lot of different things that are coming at them, not just because of their healthcare, but as you age, you need different things. And so what I hear you saying is that when you were in the nursing home, you saw that that was not well-coordinated. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's a great question. So in every nursing home, there's a social worker and they do an amazing job, but there's a couple of challenges when you're in healthcare settings. First of all, um, the patient load is extreme. Um, the regulations are extensive. And um, really, we have a social worker that helps with general coordination, which is fantastic. And I don't want to discredit what they do because they're very needed. 
The challenge comes when, so for example, when we were running the nursing home, we're the second most regulated industry in the United States. Yeah, I let's just pause there yeah. because I don't think people really understand. It is a huge rule book just to run a nursing home. And because back in the day, you know, there was abuse and neglect and all sorts of stuff. The feds came in and made sure that they locked that sucker down. So please respect those nursing homes and the rules that they have to follow. It's a tough job. Yeah, I, I feel like nursing homes are unfairly targeted. Um, and honestly, they do heroic work. I know it because I ran it. And if you look at our regs, it's literally thousands of pages long. Yeah, it's crazy. What's the number one regulated? Uh, nuclear power. Oh, well, that would make sense. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's nuclear power, then nursing homes. Oh, wow. And crazy. you're exactly right. It's because people in the past were horrific to seniors. And so the government compensated on the other spectrum going to complete other... So in a lot of respects, it ties people's hands. So the challenge is we're dealing with a client that needs a lot of help. And so it's all hands on deck. We're so regulated that we're running around with our heads cut off. In healthcare, it's so unpredictable. We could be sitting in our office doing stuff, and then we get a call from the hospitals, and we have four admits coming in right. like two hours. Right. So we have to coordinate all that, right? So the challenge is for a social worker and other people, we have so many regulations that eats up tons of our time. We have a population that needs our attention. It's first focus and the load is immense. And also another challenge is from a liability standpoint, it's really not the job of a social worker or anybody in that setting to provide specific recommendations. You know, they can be sued by other providers that aren't getting the referrals. And so really what happens, and I've been in these meetings, they're called care conferences, basically say, hey, we think you need home help or we think you need assisted living, or you need equipment in the home. Here's a list of providers. Um, let us know what you decide and we'll, we'll write the orders. They, there's a little bit, right? They may say a little bit, but the social worker and others, they don't have a time to vet the clients or really help the client understand, well, what are the differences? I've literally had people admit to me that they picked a home health company because they liked the name. Yeah. Or it was oh, yeah. the first one on the list. Or the logo was pretty or whatever the case may that be. That is not the right way to make a decision. You need to know the benefits and drawbacks of each company, what they do well with, what they struggle with, um, what does it cost, what does it cover. I think when it comes to hospitals and nursing homes and others, they do a great job helping, but they don't have time to really coach and talk nitty gritty and talk differences. Yeah. So. In a way, you could say they're doing what I'm doing, but I'm taking it a step further. I'm going nitty gritty. I'm, I'm helping them connect all the dots because some people, maybe a piece of paper is fine. But with what I do, I save them a lot of time of, uh, of doing the research for them. I um, have industry expertise. I've spent my entire career in senior care. Um, I'm a licensed nursing home administrator, a licensed assisted living administrator, a senior care advisor, an insurance agent, a certified powerful tools for caregivers instructor. So this may sound like I'm bragging, but my main point is I really invest in education and coordinating so that I know my stuff as best I can. Yeah, you've got a broad scope. Yeah, I don't claim to know everything. So essentially, I want to give people an opportunity to know that there's a guide that will take you through the whole process and supplement or help what other places like doctor's offices, they don't have time. They just say, you're not safe in your home. Yeah. So they'll call me and say, talk to Chance about the options. Mm -hmm. And I find that families love having what they perceive as, as much as possible, unbiased, someone that knows how to- A navigator. A navigator, Yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking a lot, but 
I really view myself as an advocate for families and a coordinator, a coach, and a consultant. So let me make sure that everybody understands this isn't just for patients or loved ones of your own that might be in a nursing home that are being discharged or at the hospital that are being discharged. This is for your aging loved one that is at home and you're not really sure, like you know that they might not be super safe. But instead of just turning a blind eye, call Chance because maybe he can give you some options on how to help make that safer. We want um, our loved ones. I want my parents. I want the people who I love to be able to stay in their home if that's where they want to be. And so what I hear you saying, Chance, is you can help help me know what my options are out there. Yeah. So we have five core areas of the business. One is housing. So if home, the home that they're in right now is not currently feasible, or safe anymore, There's we tell you the pros and cons of that. We have in-home options where we tell you all the strategies and companies and things to stay in your home. Um, we also will be helping people with insurance later in the year um, with Medicare and things that are related to senior products. Um, and then also connecting with professionals um, who specialize in specific things like a neurologist yeah. or an equipment modifier. Um, and then the last thing is just resources. What a lot of people don't realize is there is so many resources out there to help pay for things, to help make things easier. They have no idea where to find it. So we want to bring it all under one roof and say, there's a lot of great professionals. Let them do their stuff, but let us be the information and coordination hub. Yeah. And, and I think what one of the things that is such a barrier to is that the cost, we don't know what insurance, you know, primarily in the elderly population. We're dealing with Medicare, in some cases, Medicaid. Um, and so that's the other thing is we're kind of like, well, what does insurance pay for and what does it not? For senior solutions, insurance does not pay for your services, correct? It does not, no. So that's something that, in, that individuals who are looking for this will need to know that it's it that's not paid by insurance. It's totally worth it, right. but you're going to have to pay for it out of your own pocket. Right. Well, one thing that's unique is our service is actually free to clients. Um, so when I started the business, there was there was kind of a train of thought. Do you charge an hourly rate? Because um, one thing that's pretty common in larger cities is what's called a geriatric care manager. Okay. Um, and they usually charge about 75 to 100 bucks an hour. Um, it's very demonstrated like in a Salt Lake, a Boise in LA. Um, but in this market, it's such a unique demographic or it's such a unique thing. A lot of times when I tell people what I do, like, Oh, that's a business? Yeah, right. So I basically started from scratch and it's basically not here. I decided to go the free route because I didn't want money to be a barrier to getting the information they needed. So the way it works is when a family pays privately for a service, I build a company that they choose. Okay. Um, and now there are times, which is one of the challenges, uh, where if it's government funded, I can't bill. Um, but I just strongly believe that I try to help as many people as I can, treat them the right way, and things will work out. So, for example, um, some people have felt guilty that, you know, they met with me and I helped them and there wasn't a way for me to bill, right? But I said, you know what? The way it works is if I take good care of you and you know that, wow, he did all this work for us and it was free, are you going to be likely to talk to your friend? Probably. So, in a way, I view it as... It's marketing. It's marketing, right? <laughs> so, if I say, I'm not helping you because I can't make money. First of all, I hate doing business that way. And second of all, I believe, and it has already paid off. I had someone that was a freebie, but they referred two of their friends. Yeah. And they led to revenue. So um, 
in the future, there may be a deposit required because we're getting busier and busier where if we can't build a company, at least we have a deposit for our time. Right. But right, right now it's a free service. We don't want uh, money to be a barrier to getting the information you need. Well, I really appreciate that. I will say though, even in our business as mechanics, we charge a diagnostic fee. So, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of the expectation, but I get what you're saying. And we're, we're working towards pivoting. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest challenge, and I don't know if I need to go too much into it, is my model is a free model throughout larger markets, but I'm kind of wanting to pivot where there's at least a, a diagnostic fee, like you yeah, said, where, yeah. and what I'd it's like- It's a consultative fee, whatever. And what I'd like to do is, and we could talk more about this, is there's a consulting fee, but if I am able to bill, I can reimburse it. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, but if I can't, plan. at least you got great information from a professional. Mm, yeah, so right. that's probably what I'm gonna pivot to is not a way cost prohibitive, deposit, but at least you're investing to say, this is important to me and I value his time. Well, I really love this. And I think that it is a model that many of us, when we're starting businesses, um, have to consider because in order to generate excitement and interest into the work that we're doing, we've got to be creative in how we're getting the word out there. So I think that's a great lesson in how you made that work. And now Senior Solutions is becoming more you know, like this is my go-to. They're going to help be able and to I'm help me. And I'm having more time cumbersome requirements yeah. to where I'm going to have to pivot to the deposit model here before. So at the beginning, I think it worked great because people had no idea what I did, but I'm getting more people like, oh, talk to Senior Solutions. Yeah. They'll help you. And so, yeah. yeah, I think we will pivot to a deposit model. To something. Yeah. So then that leads me to my next question. I It sounds like... Um, how do you find your clients? Clearly word of mouth. So if I've used you, I'm gonna tell my friend or whatever. But how how do people know about Senior Solutions? Great question. So uh, it's kind of gone in phases. Um, the first part was, um, you know, the healthcare facilities, you know, the hospitals, the nursing homes, the doctor's offices, the people that they're generally aware when a crisis happens or a health situation changes. And I'm happy to help in a crisis, but what we've evolved to as time has gone on is we're trying to get out more in the community where, hey, let's not wait for a crisis to happen. Let's not wait for you to get to the hospital or a nursing home. Let's start making a plan before. So at the first sign of trouble, you know, mom's starting to struggle a little bit. Why don't I just meet with Chance so that we can start making a plan before the crisis happens? First of all, we prevent a lot of needed trauma and pain. But also, I'm a strong believer that, yes, we can make decisions in trauma and a change, but it's much better when you have a clear head. Yeah. One of the challenges I've seen with families is if I get a call from the hospital or the nursing home, the family is so deep in trauma, their loved one that means so much to them just had a stroke. And so they're trying to process the emotional change of a traumatic event and make a bunch of big decisions at the same time. It's possible and I help them and I'm happy to do it. But how much better would it be yeah, to have had that if I'm starting event. to see some warning signs, I'm just gonna call Chance. And sometimes it's as simple as a phone call. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes we'll just have people that will call and say like, Chance, I need a transportation company. Who, who accepts this insurance? And then I just simply send it to them. Yeah. Sometimes it's more in depth, like mom is really sick. We wanna keep her in the home. So it requires a lot more time or there's, and one thing I should add is a lot of what I do is being a mediator. Mm -hmm. What you learn being in healthcare, especially with an aging loved one, 
there is a lot of emotions that come out, a lot of personality dynamics <laughs> that come out. It brings out the very best or the very worst or this Correct. completely confused. Yeah. I get to see a window into family dynamics. I can kind of tell very quickly if a family is healthy or if it's not, or if it's an unhealthy dynamic. Yeah, right. Because emotions are high. You see the siblings that like to do everything themselves. You see the siblings that kind of like to take a back seat. You see the siblings that fight. You see if they had a good relationship with their parents. So. I view myself as a mediator where I'm trying to keep everyone on the same page to say, hold on, let's not get off into the weeds. Let's focus on getting your parents' help. Yeah. I'm sorry, but your personal fights right now I've have to be, be put on here. the back burner. We've <laughs> got to focus on the help. So it's kind of... It's funny that you say that. I interviewed Brian Wood of Wood's Funeral Home, and he talked about how he'd had to break up fights in the parking lot, you know, because these are highly emotional, emotionally charged situations. And so, yeah, if there's cracks in that foundation, it's going to really be evident during crisis. So I've really had to grow over the last couple of years in, in conflict management I skills. Bet. Now, I'm not, I'm not a licensed mediator, and obviously there's some things I refer out to, but it's just every day's different, <laughs> and, and I enjoy that, but it's, it really keeps you on your toes. So, you know, I talked to, you've talked a lot about pivoting, and so pivoting to me, especially this last year, has been really um, something that I've talked a lot about. Has the pandemic affected your business? I mean, I just wonder, how has that affected what you're doing? Well, it's interesting. I was terrified when the pandemic first came out because the people most affected by the pandemic is my demographic. Absolutely. And so I was really panicked like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be ruined, you know, because, but what's interesting is we had our best year in business. Huh. I think because the seeds over the years have started to germinate. However, it's been different. Well, and so much of healthcare has moved back to the home, I think. Yeah. They didn't want to be in, in the facilities. Right. So because I pivoted. So when I first started the business, I just did housing because that's the most common model. But I said, you know what? I don't want to be just the guy that puts your loved one in a home. I want to respect that 90% of people want to keep their people and loved one as long as possible. But because I pivoted a year ago, to add that service, I was better positioned. Good job. And so um, what I found was the seeds were germinating. I'm more well-known. I was getting less preparedness call. Like, so if, if someone was on the fence about needing help, they didn't really call, right? Because they're like, the pandemic, I'm going to wait and see how it goes. But the crisis situations still need to happen. And so we still met that way. So we were blessed. Um, we had our best year in business and our best quarter as well. So... I feel very fortunate. Some things we did to pivot though is right before the pandemic, I had a lease that was three times as expensive and I decided to come to the Innovation Center to reduce that, also get some coaching. So I pivoted in the standpoint is it's not quite as nice of an office, but I found that, you know, I think most people, they just want an office they can feel safe. They don't need a nice one. Right. And so I cut costs there and I cut costs in places where, okay, if it really does tank, I've cut some unnecessary expenses and luckily, you know, we grew and I hired my first employee in November. So we're, we feel very blessed that we grew during the pandemic when I know others haven't been so fortunate. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's been an interesting year for many of us. And, and I think people are a little bit almost apologetic when they say that they've done well this year, but there's been many people who have. And so, um, especially those who have, were, mobile 
or, and agile and able to pivot and those who had already kind of positioned themselves. So um, don't apologize. It's all good. Right. We want you to succeed and be able to be there to help um, because we need you. It's a very needed service. So you talked a little bit about your background. You have all this healthcare experience typically, and I know speaking from experience with all of that, you're not you're not usually an entrepreneur. You're not usually working for yourself. Like this is a corporate gig. So why did you decide to start this business? Great question. So I think I should share some of my personal experience that prepared me for this moment. So um, I've always had an affinity for seniors. Um, even growing up, I felt like I communicated better with senior citizens than even kids my own age. I'm not exactly sure why, but a lot of people I shouldn't say a lot, but some people feel uncomfortable yeah, right. across the generation. But I, for whatever reason, I felt more self-conscious talking to my own generation than the seniors. So I always- It was that wise mind of yours. I, I don't know, but <laughs> I felt comfortable. Now, I didn't think growing up, well, I'm going to work with seniors, but I felt comfortable with them um, and I appreciated them. So that was one piece. And the other piece was uh, my dad suffered a cerebral hemorrhage when I was 12 years old. So it's a stroke. And essentially, my dad went from being one of the most successful bankers in East Idaho and larger than life, lots of leadership positions. He was one of the most well-known people in the community. Um, where we lived in Rexburg, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that didn't know who he was. And even in Idaho Falls, there's so many people. So he was a large personality, really out there, tremendous leadership capabilities. Um, and then when he suffered that stroke, he had to relearn everything. He literally um, had to relearn everything. And you watch this. You're yeah. 12 years old. You're in the home watching this happen. Yeah. And yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, um, it's going to get really personal, but um, I was the youngest and some of the siblings were leaving the house and I had a brother a couple of years, but um, it's really hard because my dad really lost his manhood. Mm -hmm. It really took it out because um, he had to relearn everything, but there's a lot of things he didn't gain back. He used to be in charge of the finances and my mom used to take more of a back seat. She now took the front seat. She had to get him dressed. She had to help drive him. She had to, you know, sometimes he'd have accidents because he couldn't feel. And so I guess I, I know what it's like to work with some or to be around someone who loses their abilities and so I think there was a soft spot, soft spot in my heart for that. Sure. Um, now I wish I could say in high school I understood and processed everything. I, for a while, I was uh, embarrassed of the things that my dad did. Right. I was embarrassed when he had an accident. I was embarrassed when he didn't comb or he had food on his face. Um, but I definitely, um, and something he taught me as well is be there for the underdog. Um, so that was something he instilled in me. But I'll get to it later on how this relationship improved a lot and I'll get to it. But I guess I could talk a lot about it, but I have a soft spot in my heart for those with disabilities or those who experience loss. I went through it myself um, and I know how hard it is. And so I really, I wanna help make that hard change better mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that prepared me. Now at the time I, I didn't know it would, right? So I get into college I've always loved business, the idea of business. It's just, it's exciting to me. So I was in college, it's business management for a couple of years. And if I was like a lot of people that 
you get about halfway through and the college is like, well, what are you going to do yeah, specifically? Right. <laughs> um, in fact, they're applying some pressure on like, well, you need to find, zone in on what you're doing. You're done with all your generals. And I was struggling because I didn't find a specific niche in business that I felt called to. And so I thought, well, I like helping people. So let me look at healthcare. So I looked at physician or physical therapist, physician assistant, things like that. I'm like, no, I'm not great with the hand-on modalities. Like some people are really good with that. And so I'm like, and I thought about counselor. I'm like, well, that would be a challenge. So I'm like, dang it. I like helping people. I like business. Long story short. What's the I, marriage of that? Huh? So I married healthcare administration, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of a blend of business and healthcare. Right. And early on in that, I had a brother in senior care who ran, who helped um, do community relations in a large facility here in town. And he invited me to be an intern. And there was just a lot of amazing things where I learned that this is where I need to be, senior care. And so pretty much uh, within the first part of getting into healthcare administration, I zoned in on senior care. Um, I felt like I was comfortable with them. I felt like there was a tremendous opportunity to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I realized that it's a very hard time of life, but we can have some great moments still. And I saw that, that it doesn't have to be a depressing, oh, it's the end of the world. Yeah. Is it hard? Yes. They're going to a home, right. you know, that's where they're gonna die. But I saw some of the stigma and the stereotypes of nursing home fall, fall uh, I'm struggling with the words, but basically the stigma is not true. Yeah, right. Now, are there some nursing homes that smell like urine or scary? Yes. But there's a lot of bright, cheery, fun, engaging places where seniors don't have to die. They can still live just with some help, right? Yeah. So I thought, you know, um, I felt comfortable with seniors can make a difference. And I also like the stability of, you know, baby boomers are coming through. Yeah, right. They're going to double next mm -hmm. 20 years and somebody's going to need to help them. Mm -hmm. This this career isn't going anywhere. Like, right. Yeah. So those were three big things that helped me solidify that. Um, so my first job out of college was I was the admissions director at Teton Post-Acute Care and Rehabilitation. Essentially, long story short, I helped from the transition from the hospital to the nursing home. I also helped out in the business office, um, learned a lot, realized that I learned a lot more on the job than I did in book work. Yes. <laughs> I think sometimes getting a degree, you're just, you're showing an employer that you're willing to pay the price to invest in something. And you know, that's, I think the biggest takeaway for me is a degree, you know how to learn, you're willing to stay with it, but I think you learn so much more on the job. Yeah. Um, and I learned that very quickly. So I did that for about a year. I was approached by a gentleman at Carriage Coven Rexburg, which is an upscale nursing home. And he said, I want you to be my assistant. So it was a promotion. Um, essentially, I was still helping with admissions, but I was in charge of managing people, hiring, firing, strategic vision. And so I was given- More of those managing, management duties. Yeah, and so I did that for about a year and a half. He took a position, um, in Texas and they promoted me to be the administrator. Yeah. Keep in mind, I'd never been a manager of anything before. Um, I was 28 and uh, so long story short, they liked the longevity, they liked the personality um, and they gave me a shot. But I'm 28 and what I learned over the next year of doing that is it's an incredibly daunting task yeah. running a nursing home. And, and I don't know if you want me to get into the dynamics of that or. Well, well mostly I just want to find out 
why, how did you go from that to being an entrepreneur? Because that seems like a pretty set track. Most people who have their nursing home administrator license or healthcare administrator degree are going on to work in this corporate America. So what, how, you know, like, why did you leave? Right. Great question. So one thing to understand is to that point, my career had progressed on an upward track. Basically, I checked all the boxes and I was going. And in a way, it's extremely exciting to say I'm 28. I'm running a nursing home in my hometown, yeah. a nice nursing home that people want to come to and it's bright and cheery. So I was excited, right? Um, to where we got with Senior Solutions, um, long story short, over the next year, um, so much politics, um, so regulated. I'm a new manager, so there's certain skill sets that I don't currently possess. and. Let's just say I could talk 10 hours with all the drama the and, dynamic and all the dynamics. Um, what I didn't realize is how how much of an emotional cost it had on me. Yeah. Like I'd come home from work, burned crisp. Sure. Um, I had a new baby, uh, a young wife. We had just bought a house. Um, when you're in that, you don't realize how much it saps you, mm -hmm. it sucks the energy out of you. Um, but I'm the person that can be really stubborn. So even though I was going through, I felt like hell. Yeah. It was awful. Um, You're like, this is what it's supposed to be. I'm just yeah. gonna stick it out. This is my path and I'm gonna learn and we're gonna turn it around. We're gonna right the ship, you know? But things just kept falling off and circumstances kept going the wrong way. I'm like, what the heck? I'm working so hard. Yeah. I plug one hole and then five more emerge. Yeah. And then I plug those five and then 20 emerge. So it just wasn't working. And, um, so I was so um, emotionally drained and I'm not sure I totally realized it at the time. Yeah, and I'll right. get to that. Uh, but to make it simple, um, there was a lot of politics. Um, there were some people that didn't have my back um, and I didn't get the results they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. Um, ultimately, if you're the manager, you oversee something. If you don't get results, you know. So they said you're not a good fit. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. another piece to this is because of all the challenges um, and I didn't get the support I was promised, they brought in a management company that wanted to bring in their own person. Oh, got it. Um, and ultimately, it was easy for the management company to say, well, bad results, he's new, and we want to chart our own path. So essentially, um, I was forced out. Yeah. And uh, I was given some heads up. One of the hardest things I ever did was it basically came to, I should share this. I found out I was being forced out from a friend before I heard from the actual person. Mm, so they were looking for my replacement yeah, and it got out. Rough. And I heard from someone that said, hey, did you know your job was offered to someone else? And that was really hard because um, I'd worked so hard and I felt like I deserved to know. Like I felt like I knew that there were struggles, but I wasn't even given like, a performance improvement plan. It was like, we've already made our decision and we're going to move on. And yeah, well, I had one call or one talk about two weeks before, and they basically said, Hey, you need to turn things around. But there wasn't less necessary specific objectives. And then two weeks later, I heard that they'd found a replacement. So I felt like that's not fair. Mm -hmm. I should have known specifically what I needed to improve and the timeline and had opportunities to change. Whereas it seems like they just did that meeting as a formality to set the stage for replacing me. Probably. So so now like you're like your whole career you think it's going one way. 
it's now you don't have a job. What happens next? Is that when you thought senior solutions? Well, so this is the part I was getting to. So I was obviously distraught um, and a lot of emotions going, but they came to me and said, hey, um, we want you to stay on for a month till the new administrator can start. And honestly, my first thought was, screw you, screw you, <laughs> no. Uh, and I feel like it was an act of inspiration. So here's the thing. The big, the, the boss comes right before our staff meeting. And I basically said I wanted to talk and he said, we wanna keep you on for a month for transition purposes. We need to have a license on the facility. So basically I'm a pawn, right? And in that moment, I wanna be like, screw you. This is not fair, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. But somehow I feel like divine inspiration took over me in that moment. I was able to get some calm like, no, I need to do this need because I need a severance. I need pay, I need to figure out what my next move is. Yeah. And so in literally the span of five minutes, I go from like a bomb dropped off and, and like screw you to like, I put on a brave face and like I was able to talk to the management team about like, hey, you know what? As we, you all know, this has been a very challenging year. Um, this has been emotionally draining for me and my family. I feel like you'd be better served to have fresh blood and a new administrator. And we've mutually agreed to go separate directions. That's great. And so it was, and luckily he let me save face. You know, really they forced me out, but it was a resignation sure. essentially. But I mean, I was able to somehow gather my composure to really make it as positive as it could be. Because really, yes, it was emotionally taxing. And yes, looking back now, it is good to get fresh blood. Um, but obviously in that moment, I'm just thinking about- So in hindsight, it was a blessing. It was. Yeah, so it's good. anyways, that month of really sitting in an office and it was hard to go to work. I didn't want to be there. I was really just a head on the wall, essentially. Um, kind of like a lame duck president, right? Um, but in that month, I, I, I received what I thought inspiration on the name of the company and um, that all this experience and over the course of in the business, I, I recognized that I love teaching and educating and helping. So there was a lot of inspiration that came in that month um, to start the business. And I had had people in the past that had kind of approached me about a kind of a similar model. So I'd been planted a couple of years before. Um, and I said, you know what? I am going to start Senior Solutions because I think it could work. It could work, but I wasn't way confident. But I need an alibi. To be honest, part of it was I had a perfect clean record in my career and I was dreading the career gap. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like an alibi to say, well, I think it could work, but I need to start <laughs> it so that when I go into another interview, I can say, well, I started my own business and I thought it would work and it didn't. So I was protecting myself too. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyways, um, for the first six months, we, you know, we didn't make much. We were living off uh, the severance and the savings that we had. We were doing really well. I was making a good salary. Um, in the first six months, I was pretty bitter. Yeah. And I was pretty hurt and I was starting the business, but it was still kind of a protection point at that point. You weren't really committed to see that it was going to be successful. Well, I was, but I still didn't have the assurance that it was going to succeed. Uh -huh. It was more like what first started off on like, this is a good alibi. It could work. And then it became, you know what? This could be a nice little side hustle to, you know, I think this could be a good living to where now I'm like, this could be huge. This is it. So uh -huh. it. Um, the confidence has grown over time. Yeah. 
But I think one thing that's important to share is for a while, I'm like, why did this happen to me? I worked so hard. I was, I think I shared with you earlier, I felt like I was a shooting star. You know, I was uh, bright in the sky and I was heading places and I was going places. And all of a sudden I got knocked out of the sky. And I, I, for the first little while, I thought, you know, I'm not going to amount to anything. I'm going to be blackballed in healthcare the career I wanted to be in. <laughs> it was all doom and gloom. This was the whole, yeah, doom this was and the gloom. it. I'm going to have to work at a convenience store. So, I, mean, <laughs> I know that's irrational, but I hadn't experienced such a crushing failure sure. or what I perceived as a failure. And so I really was like preparing for the fact that, you know, I'm not going to have, uh, I'm not going to have a substantial position again, or I thought that, right? But over time, uh, and I don't want to get religious because that's not the point of this, but um, I, I watched an inspirational video from a faith leader um, that I'm going to try and synopsis, but it was called The Will of God. And the idea was that there was a farmer that purchased an old rundown farm and there was what there was a current bush. And I didn't know what a current bush was and I still don't totally know, but the current bush had grown really big and the farmer said that's not going to do. And so he cut it back and he, he cut it back to basically a third of its size. And then he saw when he cut it back that there was little red droplets on the on the branches. And he he talks about the story of how he felt or thought that the tree was speaking to him saying, like it was crying, how could you do this to me? I was making such great progress. I was going places and um, all, the, me back. all the trees in the vineyard will laugh at me. And, um, and I felt like that was me. I was making great progress. I was moving up and I just got cut back. I got, honestly, I feel like I got castrated for a little bit. Um, and that's maybe an extreme term. Um, but basically the gardener says, you know, I'm the gardener here. I know what I want you to be. I didn't intend for you to be, you know, this type of bush. And in that moment, I felt a deep emotional connection like that my journey, like I didn't want you to be a nursing home administrator long term. I needed you to be there to learn things you needed to learn to get the skill set you needed to have. And also, I've always wanted you to be have your own business. I've always had a dream of it, but I was I was risk averse. Yeah, it would be like I'll have a business when I have two hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Yeah, right. Um, but I was making you know, a good salary. Like I was making 75,000 a year. I was not gonna walk away from that. Mm -hmm. I had a job that was guaranteed. Until you were shoved away. Yeah. And I got shoved away. Mm -hmm. So I felt like in that moment that God was saying, you know what, I didn't cause you to be fired, but it's good for you. Yeah. I needed that deep burning why that talks about in a lot of books. Like the deep burning why was like, part of it was I wanted to prove to others that that sometimes that's our motivation. Like I, I'm not a loser. I'm going to prove this. <laughs> to you that I am capable. Yeah. Part of it is pure survival. Like I have to make this work. Mm -hmm. And part of it is I didn't realize how much passion and energy that that job sucked out of me and how much more I had creating something, teaching, educating what I really love. And I've really learned that passion is key. And that kept me going. Like if you're not passionate about something, you won't stick through it. And there's been a lot of horrible times where I thought I was going to lose the business or it wasn't going to work. And I still, 
I feel like I'm bipolar. There's sometimes I'm on top of the world and we're going to take over the world. That's and... the that's the role of the entrepreneur, man. <laughs> it is like this. It's a, you know, a jagged top to bottom to top to bottom. And there's so many lessons here to learn in the in what you're talking about. I think one of them is really powerful about, you know, I don't think business can be successful when we have this nice little, I'm, I'm not saying that it can't, but I think we're so much more motivated to have a business be successful because it is going to feed our family than when we're over here kind of dabbling in it. You know, I, you have to make it work. Just like you said, you said those words, you had to make it work. And so um, I'm glad to hear that this is not a side gig for you anymore. Like this is something that you're going to commit to and it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I really have been energized by it and I still have ups and downs, but we hired a first employee in November. We had our best year. I eventually, kind of big goals, I want to take this model and and not franchise, but basically let people start something up in Boise or Salt Lake. Basically create a template of people want to go to one place to get their information. They want someone to coach them and help them. And so if I can prove success in Idaho Falls, why can't I take someone and hold their hand and start something up in Montana yeah. or Idaho? So like I know it's crazy and I'm not for sure it's going to work, but I feel like if I can master it here, why can't I take this throughout yeah, the country? Replicate it. I, I feel like I can replicate it because I feel like I have the right temperament, the right experience, and we're working out all the kinks, which obviously we would never do that until we work it out. And there's a lot of rough patches still, which eats at me, right? Because I see the rough patches every day, but sometimes you just have to keep going and and realize that it's not perfect. And that's been one of the biggest struggles is like, like sometimes I wish I could have waited six months to have a more polished plan, but I couldn't, yeah, I had to go. Yeah, you had to figure it out. I had to go. Well, I think that happens too. We, you know, we jump out of the plane and we build the parachute as we're going down. That That's, that's not uncommon. And I think, yeah, there's definitely bumps along the way, but man, you learn the lessons. So what made you think, I know that you have this um, education in management, healthcare administration. What what was it that made you think that you could run a business? That this could be, you know, like, did you know about how to do taxes and all these other things? Like, did, did any of this blow your mind? Well, to be honest, a lot of the nitty gritty details is not my particular strength. I think I'm really good at communicating and relationships, big picture and coordinating things. But a lot of that has been helped through my wife. So to be honest, when I started it, I didn't really have the time and I was in and I was in grief that some of the things I didn't think about. Yeah. But my wife is very organized and detailed. And so she helps me kind of with some of the back end stuff. That's good. And so that has been helpful. So to be honest, Starting the business, I'd always loved the idea of a business. I, as a little kid, I, I had, well, this is a funny story, but it kind of shows my entrepreneurial spirit when I was young. So I had a friend that I used to go over to his house every couple of weeks and have sleepovers. And uh, I used to coax him to take his items in his basement and we would take it out to the street and sell it and I would collect. <laughs> so all I contributed was... Uh, getting it out there, but it was his toys we were selling. And I, so, <laughs> and you took a cut? I did. All right. <laughs> but anyway, it's just kind of a funny story, but I've always liked the idea of business. Didn't feel like I had the courage for it. And then I love Shark Tank. That's something I enjoyed even a few years before. So the idea of a business excited me. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it was forced on me. I, you had I, to figure I it had out. some inspiration. I had a deep burning why. 
And then also, I feel like I should mention this, and I'm not sure this is the right place to tie in. Um, I talked about my dad. Yeah. Right? I, I talked about growing up, I was um, a little embarrassed of him and felt like, why did this happen? I wish I would have had a dad that was more stable, but it wasn't his fault. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's kept my business going, especially the first year, first year was really tough financially because we're starting it from scratch. Nobody knows who I am. Well, they do, but the model is so new. Mm-hmm. So we had to change the whole narrative of how people do things. But my dad, um, one blessing that came of this was I got to spend a lot more time with my dad. And one thing you'll, something I've learned that I strongly believe in is you have to empower people and make them feel important and give them a role. And that's something I've seen, especially with seniors and disabled people. A lot of times they go from working successful careers and successful roles. Now they're retired or they have dis- disabilities. And a lot of times they're trying to find their purpose. They're trying to find where they fit in the world. And that was definitely the case with my dad. He, he got forced out of his job eventually because he wasn't getting results. And he was bitter about that for a long time. And to be honest, I noticed with my dad, when he had good productive things um, to be involved with, or he felt like he was needed, um, he did much better emotionally. Yeah. And I was just not able to provide that support running in a nursing home and other things. I was like just trying to survive. survive. So I honestly didn't spend as much time with my dad, but when I started the business, I had more time and I decided I wanted to include him. And so my dad, was my token senior. He gave him that tone and he was the director of my advisory team. And honestly, it was a win-win for me. He knew a lot of people. Second of all, he is a senior citizen. And so there's some credibility that me being 31 doesn't have, or some doors that are closed because you're a young kid, you don't know what it's like to be Yeah, right. So that helped. But what I found was he loved being my token senior. He loved being my advisory team director. Had that purpose. And I would take him on business calls, on drives, and he would look forward to that. And he was my biggest cheerleader. He'd always say, I'm proud of you, you're doing great. And um, and uh, even one of the last emails before he passed, which I'll talk about, was an encouraging email. And so he was on my wall, if you come to my wall, there's a picture of him and, and his shirt and uh, his name tag, I almost view it as a jersey. Um, but my dad was very helpful to creating another deep burning why. So now sometimes when I'm struggling to want to push on, I remember him. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I want to try and honor his legacy through that because of what he went through, because he wanted to serve the underdogs, because I think there's a lot of things he didn't get to finish that I'd like to try and finish for him. But, um, you know, he passed away from a heart attack um, last January. And to be honest, I spoke in the funeral and I I said, basically, it took me a long time to get to this point, but I was glad that I got forced out because I found my true passion, my true calling. But if nothing else, I got to spend time with my dad and really learn and appreciate his life. And because I had added perspective as a professional and as just being older, I really, instead of being embarrassed my dad, I was proud of him. I'm like, he fought like hell mm-hmm. to come out of a dark place, mm-hmm. to make the best of a situation. And I really got to learn about his life before the aneurysm. I used to view my dad, I didn't know his life before. Yeah, right, you were young. I just saw a dad that lost a lot of abilities, that lost a lot of confidence, that acted inappropriate in certain ways. 
But now I'm like, I saw the whole picture. I was like, my dad is my hero. He had uh, a heart of a line. In fact, it's on my van. And I saw everything in its proper perspective. I got to go on drives with him and talk to him. And so I told people on the funeral, I'm like, if nothing else, if Senior Solutions closes down in a little bit, which I don't think it will, if it does, I feel like it was worth it. Because mm-hmm. I would not have had a chance to appreciate and spend time with my dad before he died. Yeah. And so I am to a point now where I am glad that I got my branches trimmed down, that I got forced out. Um, Whereas for a while, I was like, why the heck did this happen? This isn't fair. Um, I'm bitter. But now I'm grateful. I'm so grateful it happened. And I have peace of mind knowing I really feel like Senior Solutions would continue to grow and go places. But if it doesn't, it's met, it's blessed my life extremely. I'm so grateful to have found my passion to have found that I, I don't know if I'll ever go to work for someone again because I love entrepreneurship <laughs> and I love getting to spend time with my dad and I've just had more time to develop me and to chart my path. Whereas sometimes when you work for yourself or when you work for someone else, there's only so much you can do to control your destiny. Whereas owning my business, it's terrifying and exhilarating at the same time, but I really feel like it's in my hands to control my destiny. And so I don't think I'll turn back. Yeah, so many great lessons that you've been able to learn through this. So thank you for sharing that and being super vulnerable with all of that. What advice would you give to somebody who was looking at self-employment after all of this that you've been through? A few things. I mean, there's many things that they're simply not the time. But one thing is you have to have a deep burning why or a deep passion about what you're doing. Um, The reason I say that is there is so many hard times that will come your way. And if you don't have that deep purpose, I just don't think you're going to make it. And I don't think you're going to have the energy to push through all the junk that comes your way because it's it's been some of the highest of highs and lowest of lows. And I I know um, for myself and talking to other people and reading so many self-development books that you just won't make it through. Or if you do make it, you'll be limping along for the whole business. So you have to be deeply passionate about it. So don't do it because you feel like you should or someone said you should. You have to really love what you do. Um, the other thing that has been very helpful for me, um, you guys have probably heard of Stephen Covey. Uh, I love his books. Um, he talks about sharpening the saw. And for me, what's interesting is um, growing up, I really didn't read a lot. Um, and I wish I would have, but I, um, one thing that this change in opportunities allowed me to do is when I um, was forced out, you know, I had a more disposable time and I had more control over my schedule. And I started reading and learning that one of my failures as a manager, because I, I wasn't completely, I had some things I needed to own and change. It wasn't just them, is I really need to become a better leader, a better manager. And that all starts with getting good habits that sets you up for success. So um, I really, since I got pushed out, have become an avid reader of self-development books, of leadership books, like I love it. And one thing that's mirrored in a lot of the books is you have to rejuvenate yourself. You have to sharpen the saw. So essentially what it is is- Lifelong learning. Lifelong learning. You really have to invest in your emotional, in your intellectual, being to work on your inside before the outside can go the way it needs to be, to be the leader you want to be, to, to have the energy. 
So sharpening the saw, really, I think self-development books and self-improvement is critical um, to constantly um, refine your craft and refine your abilities. Um, but also for me, I've noticed a big difference that when I start off the day with exercise and with self-development books and goals, like the energy of the day, I, I read a book that said, you know, the, the, the first hour of the day is the rudder of the day. Mm -hmm. And so I've really done a much better job of having a good morning routine, which self-development is part of that. It gives me the energy and focus and the passion to really have a more successful day. Whereas there are some times where I sleep in or I'm, I didn't plan well and so the day's crazy. I notice a difference. And so good morning routine, um, self-development books. So there's a lot more, but I would say you gotta have a passion, you gotta develop, and you gotta have a good morning routine. Yeah, great. Well, Chance, you shared so much with us and, and, and given us such a great glimpse of your journey and all of the lessons that you've learned along the way. Is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners before I let you go? No, I'm just, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, and I, I just, I, I'm, I feel blessed to where I am now. And um, it's really exciting to be an entrepreneur. And um, I guess for a lot of people, just don't give up and, and keep trying. And I have made so many mistakes along the way and I continue to do so. But um, I'll just go back to it. Really, as an entrepreneur, you can chart your course. Even though I've made a lot of mistakes and done a lot of things wrong, I feel like I still have the opportunity to keep refining. So I love it. And I just grateful for the opportunity if I can help anybody. Um, yeah, how do they find you? Great question. So um, if you need help with an aging loved one, um, couple ways you can go to SeniorSolutionsCP.com or you can email me at info at SeniorSolutionsCP.com or you can call me at 208-821-0955. But even if it's not relating to aging stuff, I'd be happy to swap ideas and, and, and just talk to you as well. So Great. Well, Chance, thank you so much for being on the show today and thank you again for the great work you're doing to serve our senior population and to help those of us who are caregivers be informed and know the options for help. It's so complicated and having someone to help navigate the complexity is such a service. So keep up the great work. We need you in this community. So thank you. Thank you so much, Renee. As a reminder, guys, this show is sponsored by Oswald Service and Repair with locations in Idaho Falls and Rexburg. Big news, we were chosen as one of the top three in the entire state of Idaho for best automotive repair shop. So that was chosen by Idaho's Best. So it's great, it's a great honor to be recognized this way. If you are looking for automotive repair and maintenance provided with honesty and integrity, come and visit us and let our family take care of your family. Now stay tuned for the Business Leadership Moment. It's now time for a Business Leadership Moment on East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Welcome to the Business Leadership Moment. This segment is brought to you by RiseCon, RiseCon is an East Idaho business conference held every November. They also have a monthly sister event called RiseX, where there's masterminding, information, great problem solving that happens. Come and join us. You can find out more at risecon.io or risex.io. And remember, Rise is spelled with a Z. Uh, today, I want to ask you guys a question. Why do you do what you do the way that you do it? And 
this question is meaningful to me because I've worked in different industries and found that we definitely have some processes that may be outdated that nobody actually has paid attention to for a while. And we really could be more efficient, save some money. And I wonder if we have if we have taken the opportunity within our own organizations to really look at the way we do things. One thing that was shared with me recently was in the military operations manual. It talks about how when you are going to shoot a cannon, there needs to be three individuals. And you can understand that there's one to load the cannon and the other person is there to fire the cannon. But what is the purpose of that third individual? Well, back in the day, the purpose of the third individual was to hold the horse. And and why did we have horses? Well, because that was literally how they got the cannons to the place where they needed to. And you had to hold the horse because when those big guns start shooting, it would spook the horse and he would run away. So you'd need to have that third person. Um, and maybe there's some nostalgia happening that we still need to have that third person, but really the whole purpose of it is no longer. And so um, we could be much more efficient shooting a cannon if you just had the two individuals. And I know it made sense back in the day, but it doesn't make sense now. So what are the outdated processes that we have in our organizations and in our life today? It's what I want to challenge you with is to question everything. Go about today and really question things. Look at everything that you're doing and ask yourself, is this the most efficient? Is this the way that, do I do this just because this is the way I've always done it? I certainly see that in organizations that I get to consult in and I love challenging them with, why do you do it like that? And in a way to really understand because there's probably a reason, but if it's, the reason is because this is how we've always done it. It's an opportunity for us to look at our processes, find our outdated processes, update them. It gives us the opportunity to be more productive, to save money. Look at everything that you have, your telephone system, the way that your office is organized, the the customer service that you provide, the way that your policies and procedures are. Really just look at it with a questioning mind. I think you might find some things that you could be more efficient at just because you hadn't looked at it that way before. All right, that's your challenge for this week. I hope you have a great one. And I look forward to having you back on and listening to the show. So we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair. For all your car care needs in eastern Idaho, let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com.